This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. These days, the pharmaceutical company Pfizer is famous for one particular thing. Trials carried out by the US pharmaceutical giant Pfizer and the German manufacturer BioNTech suggest they have created a coronavirus vaccine which is more than 90% effective. But they've got another vaccine in the pipeline you probably haven't heard of. This time for Lyme disease. Some encouraging news in the fight against Lyme disease, the most common tick-borne illness the first potential vaccine in decades is now entering its final phase of testing. Together with a company called Valneva, they're recruiting 6,000 participants across Europe and in the United States to test the efficacy and safety of the vaccine. Most of us wouldn't think twice about Lyme disease, but perhaps we should. And it comes after a recent study showed nearly 15% of the world's population has likely had the condition, including hundreds of thousands of Americans every year. Globally, rates are rising, spread by growing populations of ticks. Climate and environment changes appear to be working in the ticks' favour as well. So for those in the Northern Hemisphere, where Lyme disease is endemic, it's likely to get worse. Over the last 20 years, researchers found the numbers have been going up, and men over the age of 50 who live in rural areas are the most at risk. So, what is Lyme disease? How serious can it be? And, at least before we get a vaccine, what's the best way to prevent it? From The Guardian, I'm Madeline Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. Dr Owen Healy, you're a now-retired researcher on ticks and Lyme disease from University College Cork in Ireland. And I know that when we're saying ticks, we're actually referring to this one particular species that carries a bacteria called Borrelia burgdorferi that causes Lyme disease. But how does the tick actually spread this bacteria? Ticks employ an ambushing strategy when they want to 
attach to a host animal. The tick waits on the tips of vegetation until a potential host passes by and brushes against the vegetation and the tick very quickly latches on. And it starts to penetrate the skin using a very, very complex array of weapons. Enzymes that will digest and break down the skin layer and an anesthetic to dull the sensation so that the host may be totally unaware of being bitten. Now, once the tick penetrates a blood vessel, it starts to, to suck blood and it'll do that for several days. And if that tick has Borrelia in its gut, then the bacteria pass into the host and so begins an infection. What are the initial symptoms that you might get? They're pretty general. They're flu-like symptoms. Aches and pains, headaches, lethargy, a general feeling of being off form, not feeling the best, but nothing too serious. Without treatment, of course, other symptoms develop, depending on the site of the organ that's attacked by the Borrelia. It could be neuropathy, tingling of the fingers, numbness, stiffness, and pain in joints and tendons, which can lead to uh, severe arthritis. In some cases, the bacteria can affect the heart muscles, causing carditis or inflammation of the heart. So it can make a person's life a misery, and of course, there's a consequent impact on the, on the whole family of that victim as well. Hello, Dad. Hello, Madeline. Now, Dad, you're not on the podcast as one of Science Weekly's biggest fans, although I know you are. It's because you had Lyme disease. Now, before you realised that you had Lyme disease, I know that you weren't feeling well. So what were the first signs? What, when did you start to feel ill and what, what was going on? I had a rash on my leg, which was sort of target shaped, so pretty ugly, to be perfectly honest, uh, on my top of my thigh but being typical block I guess all I did was ignore it or slap a bit of sooty cream on and thought it would go away other symptoms that I had that I didn't realize that were related to the limes I had a really stiff neck and shoulders and I had mood changes and I didn't realize at the time but I believe that was also due to the Lyme disease so when did you put kind of all these little clues together? What happened to make you go to a doctor and say, well, something's going on? Uh, the rash just wasn't going away. And to cut a long story short, I was driving and there was a radio program about Lyme's disease and about the rashes that it causes. And I thought, hmm. And I literally drove into the doctor's surgery, which was on the way home, doctor did the usual, drop your trousers. So I dropped my trousers <laughs> and she took one look at it and went, you've got Lyme's disease. A bullseye rash like my dad had can be a clear first sign of Lyme disease. But even if you end up taking antibiotics like he did, if you haven't caught the infection quickly enough the bacteria can still infect different parts of the body and cause lots of long-term symptoms. In the case of Borrelia, it has various evasive strategies where it can modify its form. It can develop a new set of antigens so that the immune system is confused. It could hide inside in cells. 
so that uh, if a victim is undergoing antibiotic treatment, it can actually ev evade the antibiotic. It has very clever ways of uh, persisting within the host animal so that the infection can recur at a later time. This means that even after you take antibiotics and have a period of feeling better, symptoms can return or new ones can appear, which is what happened to my dad. I was due to go to the doctors again, which I did, and I was given an ECRG, so the old rhythm test, and that really made me laugh because I was lying on the bed and I'm five foot ten and at that time I was probably nearly 14 stone I guess. For our American listeners that's I would say average dad bod. Yeah maybe <laughs> maybe slightly heavier than normal uh, and the lady said she said oh she said, that's uh that's good she said do you do long distance marathon running and I looked and I said look at me do I look like a marathon runner I said why and my heart rate was 45. So my normal resting heart rate is usually around 56 yeah, anyway, 56, 57. So maybe yeah, I was going to say you're fit, but you're not an elite athlete. <laughs> <laughs> we joke now, but at the time, it was scary. The impacts Lyme disease can have long-term on the heart and other organs and muscles can be very serious, no matter how fit you are. So it's something you definitely want to avoid. But evidence suggests that cases of Lyme disease are on the rise. I asked Owen why. This is primarily because tick populations are growing in size and the ticks are also becoming more widely distributed in the environment. Now, for tick populations to grow... They need large mammal hosts, and deer are the best hosts of all. In the UK, woodland areas, percentage of land, total land area, has increased from 9% in 1980 to 13% in 2019. Now, where forestry develops, deer will follow, and amplification of tick numbers is almost inevitable. On top of that, we've got climate change. We've got milder winters with fewer frost nights. And of course, we've got higher average rainfall, despite the dry summer we're having, providing more moist habitat for ticks to survive. Now, on the other side of the coin, we've got a change in social behaviour towards a more outdoorsy lifestyle, leading to more tick bites and increasing the incidence of Lyme disease. So the announcement that there could be a vaccine for Lyme disease, which may become available by 2025, I mean, that sounds like it could be really useful in the future if tick numbers do keep going up and we are seeing an increase of Lyme disease. But I know that we did have a vaccine before. So what happened with that one? Yeah, we, we did have a vaccine. The parent company of what's now GlaxoSmithKline they had an anti-Lyme vaccine called Lyme Rix, which was approved by the FDA in 1998. And this vaccine had a, an efficacy of about 75%. Now, what followed that was a wave of anti-vaccine sentiment. 
Fears grew around the possibility, and I stress the possible, only the possibility of side effects from the vaccine. A class action was taken by quite a substantial number of people uh, against the company, and this was settled without any admission of liability. The whole anti-vaccine campaign caused sales to drop like a stone, and the company at that point, the company withdrew the vaccine, withdrew it from the market entirely. There's obvious reasons why you wouldn't want to just bring back that vaccine. But tell me a bit about this new one from Pfizer and Valneva. How does it work? So what they're doing really is to identify one or more key surface proteins on the Borrelia that it uses to enter the host and that it uses to inhibit the host's immune system. They've identified a protein, it's called OSPA, and they prepare a purified version of this protein and inject it into a human. Then the human immune system then develops uh, antibodies towards the, uh, the OSPA, which will target and knock it out. So in that case, if a tick infected with the Borrelia should bite a vaccinated human, antibodies in the human blood will be drawn into the tick's gut and should bind to the OSPA protein on the bacteria's surface and effectively kill it. This is the theory, and if it works, then Borrelia would never actually enter the human body at all. The bacteria would, would die within the tick. And this is now going into clinical trials where it's going to be tested on volunteers, which means we will have to wait a little while. So what can people do in the meantime to avoid getting Lyme disease? Education is the root out of this problem. Both the general public and the public health authorities and practitioners really need to be better informed about ticks and Lyme and to be aware of the really serious consequences of contracting the disease. Wearing appropriate clothing, avoiding unnecessary contact with vegetation, use of a tick repellent, very importantly, thorough examination of themselves and children on returning home from the outdoors. Of course, warning signs, I'm not sure about the UK, but we have very, very few warning signs about tick-infested areas in Ireland. Very few. So people wander into uh, woodlands and national parks and so on, not aware that there is disease lurking everywhere. Signs aren't just needed in woodlands and forests, as my dad found out. So I was on the golf course and I hit a ball into the long grass and being the tight Scotsman that I am I decided I was going to go and look for it so I went looking for this ball and I had shorts on it was a lovely sunny day I didn't find the ball and I came back onto the fairway and I played I thought oh what's that and I thought there was something on my leg picked off what I thought it was not recommended not recommended and then went played my game of golf went back home I thought maybe it's a little bit of a splinter or something from a bramble or something that I've got caught. And then it just progressively got worse from there. Once I was diagnosed, I went up to the club and told them what happened. And they were very good. They put up a notice. Do you think if you had seen that sign, you would have been more careful going into the grass? Or do you think you still would have gone in and tried to get your ball? Yeah, I would have still still gone in looking for the golf ball. Um, But you might have realised faster when you got the rash what had been going on. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And to be honest, if I knew then what I'd known now, I would not have gone looking for the golf ball because, yeah, it's, it's at the back of my mind all the time. 
And sometimes when I wake up and I've got a stiff neck and stuff, I think, oh no. Occasionally look around and go, have I got a rash? Well, Dad, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Mads, it's been an absolute pleasure and I can tick it off of one of the things I've always wanted to do. So thank you very much. (laughs) Thanks again to my dad, David, and to Dr. Owen Healy. Now, before you go, I've got a special offer to tell you about. The Guardian is running a three-week masterclass about the climate crisis from the 3rd to the 21st of October. You'll get to hear talks from academics, journalists and activists, including Professor Mark Maslin and our very own Fiona Harvey and Damien Gale. And the offer. Right now, you can get 15% off by using the discount code back to school. That's back to school, all one word. And this is only available until the 12th of September. So head to theguardian.com forward slash climate dash masterclass to book. And we've put a link to that on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. The producer was me, Madeline Finley. The sound design was by Tony Onachuku. And the executive producer was Max Sanderson. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. 